Hi, this is Annie Fox of Family Confidential, Secrets of Successful Parenting. My guest today is Matt Renwick. Matt is a 16-year veteran of the public education system. He started as a fifth and sixth grade teacher, and after seven years, he served as the dean of students at a junior high. He is now an elementary school principal and the author of the book, Five Myths About Classroom Technology. Hi, Matt. Welcome to Family Confidential. Hi, Annie. Thanks for having me here. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for taking time out of your busy day. I know as a school principal, uh, it's hard to schedule anything because stuff comes up. And I'm, I want to talk to you today specifically about kids and technology and um, what kind of things you see mostly in terms of gaps in their knowledge that may cause some problems um, in, in school. So what do you got to sure. say about that? Well, um, it's certainly not a technology gap. I mean, they understand how to use it. They, they're very intuitive, and they can figure things out on their own. Um, so it's not a matter of teaching them the tools. It's teaching them how to use it. And that, I think the gap, there's certainly a social media school gap in terms of using it more regularly in classrooms. Um, I don't, there's not a ton of teachers modeling it within the classrooms, and there's a lot of neat opportunities in which they could. So that, I think, is the first part because the parents aren't going to really model it. It's fairly new to them, too, and, and they're often making some similar mistakes, I think, with social media. So I think that's the first step, I guess, for any educator out well, there yeah, and parent, um, too. I would imagine, you know, some of the teachers are in the same age bracket as the parents of your students, and so right. they might not have grown up with it as well. When you see mistakes, what kind of mistakes are you talking about? Uh, mostly, well, first not, um, I think reading at some of the general guidelines and I'm not talking about the fine print, but just, you know, this app is designed for people 13 and up, you know, this social media and kids are jumping on at nine, 10. Um, and why is that a bad thing? Well, they just don't develop. I mean, there's a reason why it's 13. There's a reason why, you know, there's certain age levels developmentally, they're just not ready and, and they'll make decisions such as posting something about someone else online and just really not understanding how many people can see it and how it might affect someone else. Even more minor things that they don't see as, as mean may come across in a wrong way. And they're just not putting a lot of thought behind what they post online on social media. So what are you saying is that even though we've told them social media is like taking the biggest, taking out the biggest billboard in the universe, they still don't get that what they post is public. Right. <laughs> well, I'm laughing, but um, I know there are limitations to what an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old brain can grapple with. Right. I mean, it, and I'm sure you've talked about this, Annie, the, the prefrontal cortex where the, uh, um, you know, the thing that regulates their emotions and it regulates um, their decision-making isn't fully formed until even in their 20s. And the younger they get on social media, the more I would say, and it depends kid to kid, but would seem there's more likely that they're going to make poor decisions online first because they don't they don't have any uh, instruction on it and secondly um, they're not seeing anyone else maybe use it like they should be so I know you're an elementary school principal um, <clears throat> usually I talk about these kinds of things with middle school administrators teachers and counselors but I'm wondering in your fourth and fifth grade population mm -hmm. do you sometimes get 
disciplinary referrals or things that your counselor and you need to deal with that have nothing to do with academics because yeah. of social media? Yeah, not at, and I was an assistant principal at a secondary school, seven, mm-hmm. sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, and we don't see nearly as many referrals. However, we start to see at that age level more of those types of things, more happening outside the school day. Yeah. Um, and but it, but it, it bleeds over, doesn't it? Right. So the parent will call the next day and say, hey, I know this has nothing to do with school. However, this child said something about my child online, and, and what can you do about it? And, and, and then it gets real tricky. What can you do about it? Uh, in the past, uh, educators weren't told that they couldn't go with the student online to uh, help manage those types of things. Mm-hmm. But now what they uh, say is that even as a school educators, we cannot go online and um, uh, even tell them to take it down. So what I've done lately is just – call the other parent and say, I'm aware of this. And I know this has nothing to do with school, but as a parent myself, you know, I would encourage your child to take this down, delete it uh, just so that you're aware of it. And I think taking more of an awareness approach and just involving mm-hmm. both families seems well, to. Yeah. Be, yeah, sure. I, you know, there, there are boundaries, you know, this, I understand. Um, but when things happen, as you say, um, outside of school and they bleed into the school day where things are happening, it's quite noticeable um, during the lunch period, during recess, even, you know, mm-hmm. classrooms, um, that becomes a school issue. Right, right. And then then we can take action and we can treat it just like we would treat um, language they would use in person or, or maybe gossiping oh. or rumoring. And we'll treat it just like that. Um, in some cases, it actually helps us because there's uh, kids are pretty savvy with the technology and they'll take screenshots and say, this is what they sent me or this is what they posted. Oh. And um, we have a little bit more evidence in that way and in terms of addressing it. Uh, and then I always try to use it as a teachable moment yes. and I explain to the kids and the families that that's why I have a job is one reason is, is we don't, we, you know, we don't want to welcome these mistakes, but mistakes are how we learn. And if we can stop it from happening, especially when they're eighth, ninth and 10th, when it becomes a, um, a, a legal type of a thing where they're committing a crime that I'd rather deal with this now than later on. Yeah. So I'm curious. So here you have some evidence. You've got a screenshot. It's usually the parent whose kid has um, been on the right. receiving end of some nastiness. Of course, maybe in that dialogue that's been captured, you see that, you know, the other, the, the so-called targeted kid is, is dishing out some of his or her own ammunition, right. ammunition as well. But um, how would you typically deal with this um, with the students themselves if you've got this evidence in hand in school? With the, with the student who, who did that? For both kids, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really depends on the circumstances. I think if it's more mild and there's not, it's more of a um, more of a going back and forth and it's yeah. more relational kinds of things. Yeah. Well, I'll actually get the counselor involved and work with me and, and again, use that as a teachable moment. If there's actually where there is um, derogatory language, um, mm-hmm. where it's you know discrimination, harassment, um, and it happened at school, then we would take uh, the, the the steps in the, our district's process for uh, that kind of that kind of infraction, uh, just as if they would um, do it face to face. Yeah, are you finding then after you have one of these teachable moments with the kids involved that um, you've handled the problem at least with those individuals? Yeah. Yeah. It seems to take care of itself. And we really try to create, um, we don't try to be the, 
the disseminators of discipline. Rather, we say, here are the consequences of what happened. Here's what could happen if you continued it. We might get the police liaison officer involved. Mm-hmm. Um, but nine times out of ten, it, it stops because we've created a conversation around it and use it not just to um, uh, deliver consequences, but also to help them think about the future. So we hear a lot about um, restorative justice models in schools where, where the kids who are at each other's throats actually have opportunities to um, acknowledge what they were feeling, apologize for wrongdoing, mm-hmm. stuff stuff like that. Um, that seems like it makes a lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm. Is that is that kind of a, maybe you don't call it that, but some kind of um, a, approach that you use to, to get kids to like, it's not, this was wrong, don't do it again because there are consequences, but... Um, mm-hmm. Is there a way that we, you, you two guys can find a way through this? I think if, if the infraction is not that bad, mm-hmm. it's not to the point where the, the relationship is just it's not going to happen, then, yeah, we try to get the kids involved and talk about it, facilitated by an adult, me or a counselor mm-hmm. or our school social worker. Um, sometimes parents will request, I don't want my child to have anything to do with this student mm-hmm. because of what happened and. You know, we respect that too. So we really try to involve the parents as well and mm-hmm. say, what do you wish of this to see happening? You know, and most parents are very good about understanding that kids make mistakes and um, we want to move past it. So when appropriate and the transgression wasn't so bad that um, it can't, it's not beyond repair, then yeah, we'll definitely yeah. involve them. We don't use restorative justice uh as it might be turned, but certainly apologies of action Good. is something that we've tried and, mm-hmm. and that's been very helpful and allowing the kid to choose. How do you want to prepare this relationship? Because Ooh, you're going like to have that. to work with them. Yeah. You know, you're you're going to see this with kid, them. this kid's in your class or you have yeah. to ride the or, bus with this kid. Yeah. Or you're going to meet someone else like him or her mm-hmm. later on in life. You know, this is good a, a good chance to, to practice these habits. Yeah. I will say in our, I will say in our school, we haven't had a ton of these. And I think I, I believe part of it is our teachers have been, really good about teaching, at least modeling, showing how to use social media. One of our teachers has a Twitter account and then she'll have conversations with the kids. I'm, I'm posting this. I'm not posting pictures of, you know, your full profile, just the side picture. I'm not putting names in and I'm not using Twitter all day either. I'm using it for learning. And I think that makes a big difference. Just as you would read aloud to a kid, they, they understand that reading is important. The same thing, seeing social media use versus just talking about it. I think makes a big difference. Yeah, I think it does too. And and so um, we only have a couple of minutes left here, Matt. But sure. I'm wondering if there are some some tips you can give for parents whose kids are, are just starting to be using social yeah. media in in the late elementary school grades, moving into into middle school. Um, sure. How parents can do their part um, to be working with their students um, in the same way the teachers are doing their best trying to kind of figure out, okay, this is part of the curriculum now at home and at school. How, how do parents do a better job um, getting their kids to become responsible digital citizens? I think first modeling what it means to be a digital citizen. I mean, the vast majority of adults are now on some social media, Facebook, Twitter. I mean, it's how we communicate uh, a major way for most of us. So really modeling it. And that starts with um, not using it all the time. Um, I read somewhere <laughs> yeah, where... Yeah, a great model is like to get your hands off of it sometimes. Yeah, just uh, like yesterday great. was Sunday and I just I took a break from social media. I put my phone away. I put my laptop away for at least half a day. I had to do some work. But 
and just sitting down and playing games with the kids and our kids are seven and nine and, and just, you know, taking some time to be there with them. Uh, if you're bored, don't feel like you've got to take your phone out to, to alleviate the board and be bored and, and show kids that it's okay to be bored and, uh-huh. and you can let your mind wander. I think beyond that too, then, uh, you know, having conversations with your kid and not admonishing social media and saying it's, it's bad or, or good. I mean, it, it's a tool and it can be used for either. So, you know, once they start asking, I want my own phone, I want to get on this, just having lots and lots of conversations about it. And I think finally too, is it is always okay always okay to have your child's password to any social media they're using when they're living under your house, you know, up to 18, I would say. Um, there's no reason not to, especially if you're footing the bill. Um, there's no reason. I have a nine-year-old. Uh, he'll be in fourth grade next year, and he's already talking about devices, and uh, we're talking about getting him a Chromebook because uh, they're doing some work with Google Docs. And so, again, really being intentional about what we're getting, um, and really doing the research yourself and, and just being a model for the kids. This is a really good tip. So I, I really appreciate this, Matt. Um, before I let you go, because I, I hear your kids in the back and I know that, that you're off and you have, <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, it's real. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, if you could let us know where people can find out a little bit more about um, your blog and, and sure. how, how you write about this stuff as, as yeah. a um, public school administrator. Yeah, well, my blog is readingbyexample.com, and I'm on Twitter at readbyexample. Um, so my focus is more literacy and leadership, but I've really started to incorporate technology with it. So my re- my most recent post was technology for the sake of technology. And just it was a real brief post, but talking about, you know, don't bring tech just because it's shiny and new and it looks cool, but really be intentional about how you can use it for good, uh, such as um, creating a website for a school. Um, that would introduce new students and new families, um, give them a map, a welcome video, and really be purposeful with it. So I post a lot about that kind of content on there. Uh, so Twitter and my blog, Reading by Example, uh, great place to get home. Sounds great. Thank you so much for being an educator. Thank <laughs> and you, for, Annie. And for being very mindful about this. Is, you know, it's now part of our job description, right? Yeah, and it's hard. I mean, I get sucked into it just as much as anyone. So yeah. I've just always been working on it. Okay. Thanks a lot for your time today, Matt. Thank you, Annie. Hi, this is Annie Fox for Family Confidential. To learn more about my work with tweens, teens, and their parents, visit AnnieFox.com. And check out my parenting book, Teaching Kids to Be Good People, Progressive Parenting for the 21st Century. And my latest book for tween girls, The Girls Q&A Book on Friendship, 50 Ways to Fix a Friendship Without the Drama. And please review our podcast on iTunes. It helps other people find the show, and we like reading them too. Family Confidential Podcast is produced by Electric Eggplant, creators of books and apps for parents, kids, tweens, and teens. And tune in next time when my guest will be Dr. Laura Choate. Laura is the author of Swimming Upstream, Parenting Girls for Resilience in a Toxic Culture. Until next time, happy parenting. Mm -hmm.